So Brett, do you have a favorite fairy tale? Um, I, not off the top of my head. What, what about you? You don't, you don't, you have no feelings about fairy tales. Like there was never one story where you're like, tell me the beautiful child again. No, I feel like I don't want to just give a generic answer. So I want to give You have a... to give an answer, even if it's generic, even if it's Beauty and the Beast. All right. Well, you do yours first. Okay. Well, <laughs> mine is kind of hipster because there's, <laughs> there's, there's a fairy tale called Furball or Ball of Fur. And it's about a woman who has to run away from her deranged father but she manages to pack four outfits into a nutshell. One is a coat that's made of many furs, thus the fur ball or ball of fur. Uh, and then there are no less than three dress costume changes. Cinderella got one shoe. Furball okay. got three dresses and three chances to get through to her dense-headed um, prince who she was supposed to marry. And then... Her cheeky thing was she would put things in his soup and then he'd be eating his food and be like, who put this in my bowl? And then eventually he realizes that the dirty girl covered in fur in the kitchen is is actually the beautiful woman that he was. And then, yeah, and then she takes off the mask and it's Amelie the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I think. And oh, Donkey Skin is another version. And I think that was made into a movie um with um is it Catherine Brayacht or um yeah donkey skin it's a Jacques Demy film oh and it had Catherine Deneuve as the furball slash donkey skin character I haven't seen that though I should though because it is my favorite fairy tale all right now we need to hear your generic smash mouth answer give it to us yeah, I'm just going to go with the big bad wolf. You like I, Little uh, Red Riding Hood. Yeah, because it's... Little it's Red Riding Hood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, three things. Um, <laughs> no, it can be funny, right? It can be absurd. It can be like Bugs Bunny as Little Red Riding Hood. Or it could be scary, like, oh, wait, I'm trapped inside of a place with someone that is trying to kill me. Actually, it does not at all surprise me that you're a Little Red Riding Hood stan because there actually have been plenty of Little Red Riding Hood horrors. Like, I mean, this idea of werewolves and things like that, I feel like that's most often what you see is people who like that story love to adapt it into werewolf horrors. Like, I think there was one with Amanda Seyfried where she's Red yeah. Riding Hood and the big bad wolf is her boyfriend. I um I think the internet's kind of come around a bit to the village. The village is the village got a is a fairy tale. Yeah. yeah, the village is definitely a fairy tale, but they trade out the red cape for a yellow one. Yeah, um, but the the colors what a are twist. the colors are all the same. All right, well, let's find out what big teeth we have and get into it.
This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and once upon a time, I watched a romance movie, and I have been a fan of romance and comedy, rom-coms, if you will, ever since, happily ever after. How about you, Brett? Uh, well, on one dark and stormy night, I watched Poltergeist, and ever since then, I've had nightmares about trees coming into my house through the window to kill me. And they lived happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and each week here at Necromancer, I like to pick a rom-com, Brett picks a horror movie, and then we flip-flop those movies, turning the horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror. And if you haven't already guessed, the theme of the day is fairy tales. Yes. That was your theme. You're the one who, is this just an excuse to watch Ever After? Absolutely, it was an excuse to watch Ever After, but I do love fairy tales. And I think that if you grew up reading or being read fairy tales, then it it definitely stimulates your imagination as an adult in what you are willing to watch and what you're interested in when it comes to storytelling. Like, like our ghoul friend, Tony said, there's, there's a limited amount of kinds of stories in the world. And if you recognize that kind of fairy tale structure, you just see it everywhere. And I think rather than it being something that, you know, makes you like things less it makes you more excited to see riffs like um another riff on little red riding hood which is um one of my favorite movies is the one with um uh reese witherspoon um god i've recommended it in the past Oh, yeah. I was going to send you a screenshot of that when I was looking up movies. Yeah. That was on the bad movie. side, though. Freeway, right? Freeway. Yeah, Freeway. Yeah, exactly. That was on so, the bad side. And I was like, but Shira recommended it for I, The Hitcher. I enjoy that was Freeway. Your love for The Hitcher. Yeah, I really enjoy Freeway, but like Freeway is very campy. I would put Freeway in a similar class of films as like, but I'm a cheerleader where it's like freeway okay. is beloved by fans of freeway. And you will know if you're a fan when you're watching it. Um, right. But I, I find it highly enjoyable or, you know, Hannah is also a fairy tale. Oh, That's yeah. one of your favorite movies. Um, I just wanted to pick Hannah so bad. I, I <laughs> was very surprised that you resisted picking Hannah. I mean, for me, the, the choice of Ever After was just obvious. For instance, I, you know, again, I spend a lot of time on Reddit and I was looking on romance movies and somebody had watched Ever After and they were like, five stars. It's Ever After. That was the review. And I immediately understood what they meant. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Um, But uh, so even though I think I I could have gone a lot of directions, like when I was watching Ever After, I did think of Ella Enchanted. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of a good fairy tale movie too. And you're an Anne Hathaway stan. I know that you could get into it. I I did actually. I've never seen that one. I saw what's the one with Amy Adams. That was a good one. 
Um, enchanted. So yes. yeah, enchanted is is also a great a great option. Um, and any one of those, or or even the the modern Cinderella with um, Lily James, I think mm-hmm. was the one in it. Um, the live action Disney one. Um, but there were there were ways that I could go. But you know, Ever After I think just holds a special place in my con in the cultural consciousness of women born female millennials i think we have a special relationship to ever after even though i am a hundred percent willing to admit that i did not care for drew barrymore's acting in the movie very much at all um and and i'll explain why and and despite that i still love the movie especially because you know angelica houston and and marguerite are just so bitchy and you know, I've come full circle in my life where as a child, I definitely was in the position of Danielle and fully rooting for her. And now as a woman in my 30s who drinks wine, I just love to watch Angelica Houston and the actress who played Marguerite be absolute bitches. Uh, it's it's highly enjoyable to to watch their just cartoony mustache twirling antics. Um so yeah, and and even with Hansel and Gretel, I I don't identify with Gretel at all. But you know, Holda the witch, I'm like, yeah, she's cool. Uh, yeah. So I I feel like I have a a different orientation towards fairy tales now that uh, I'll, I'll definitely bring up when we get into recommendations. But so for you, do you have no no personal relationship with fairy tales? Um, no, I mean, ev- everyone, everyone knows fairy tales. Yes. That's like the, <laughs> it's the first story you hear that goes like, everyone's told this version. So you get to make up your own version of this. Mm-hmm. And then we all get to share those versions together. And then some of the stuff will kind of become part of the version. And so it's just like, oh yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of like, you know, Looney Tunes. I always like mm-hmm. to see Looney Tunes parody the parody the fairy uh, tales anything it was just that, like it's so silly anything that and violent bunny in drag i yeah i don't think that there is any being on earth who is more confident more secure than bugs bunny in drag a little guy called mango <laughs> you can't have it, a mango <laughs> Chris Kattan is Mango. Yeah, it, very, very confident that Chris Kattan. Um, if you could adapt any any fairy tale into a horror movie, what would you do? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like... I mean, I feel like there's got to be some kind of cool... Red Riding Hood version, like I—that's the one that I would do. That's my go-to. Brotherhood of I the Wolf. The bread? Yeah, yeah. I did actually think about that during uh, Ever After because both movies take place in France, yet everyone speaks with an English accent. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, English accent in parentheses. Some people better right. than others. Also, I would like to point out that in Gretel and Hansel, that Hansel was inexplicably British. Yeah. It, it, he, he was you a know little, what though he was a little british boy i guess that made him more endearing like i don't know there's something about little british boys that automatically makes me assume they're ghosts i mean 
that that's true. He could have been a ghost the whole time. But um, <laughs> either either you've got when you're that little, you can focus on acting or you can focus on accent. You can't have both. <laughs> I mean, unless you're some kind of child prodigy. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I guess we we can all be the fannings. Um, but uh, all right, I'll, I'll ask the question I always ask on on these first parts. Uh, which movie should we get into first? Well, I know that you are, I don't know how you phrase it exactly, but you've said it before. You're a recovering, not like the other girl's girl. This is true. So, so I, I- I've logged a lot of hours helping men with their character development, and I'm hanging up my hat, and I'm allowing right. myself to be a woman for women. Uh, I would say that I did not like Ever After. I, I well, really of course just didn't you didn't like Ever After. Boring. I never, but... I never expected you. But what bothers you more, Brett, that I am common or that I am competition? <laughs> but I will say, watching it for the podcast, knowing that you were just gonna gush all over this movie, I had a fun time watching the movie. It was a fun movie. It's kind of like um. To put it in my terms, it would be like Jet Li, uh, Once Upon a Time in China. Like, Once Upon a Time in China, five stars, enough set. You know what I mean? Like, Jet Li, martial arts, period piece martial arts fans will go, yeah, enough set. You know, I come here for the costumes. I come here for the for the violence. You can't tell me that Creature was a higher quality product than ever after, at least in like design, cinematography, costuming, just the overall feeling that it evoked, regardless of the quality of the actors or the story. You you think Creature, creature beats ever after? <laughs> creature had the magic word. The catnip. They sprinkled the catnip on there. Explosion. <laughs> it had a head explosion in the movie. Among other awesome kills, it okay. had a head explosion. So you're trying to tell me that if Ever After had a head explosion, like if one of Leonardo da Vinci's inventions or experiments was yeah. to explode heads, like or or if um what's that martial arts movie with like the flying thing that cuts people's heads off? Yeah, the flying guillotine. Oh, yeah. So if Leonardo da Vinci was practicing his flying guillotine, guillotine, he was practicing just like throwing his flying guillotine on the lake when he meets with Danielle, that would have made that scene more appealing to you. I would have perked right up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to continue to ask punchy questions about about what would have made this movie a Brett movie. Because it's really funny for me to imagine. But yeah, it occupies a special place in my heart because I saw this movie during my formative years. I was not watching this movie with the critical eye that I have now where I'm actually looking at the actors comparing their performances and, and thinking about things like that, or, Ooh, I think that this is actually a really cool shot, or I want to look up the costumes in this movie. I was just absorbing this movie from the pure clean slate mind of a child. And of course I loved it. And I watched it a lot of times with my friends. So 
I definitely wanted to come back to it. And in fact, I, I actually linked you to an article on the costumes because I yeah. think that that's something that stands out to people. In fact, I think that the it's literally called the breathe dress, the dress that she wears at the end. And you can find people online that have patterns and things like how you can make your own. But the actual dress that she wore in the movie is actually incredibly intricate and, you know, right. hand beaded and embroidered. And, you know, they're, they're drawing more inspiration in the movie from uh, 15th and 16th century Italian clothing. But it is still, you know, evocative of a period. And they did work really effectively, in my opinion, to create this mood, this setting of a fairy tale. And I yeah. think Gretel and Hansel kind of does it in a different way that I guess works for horror. Um, but yeah, this is just pure fluffy fairy tale setting. Um, I also have fond memories of this movie because really? I texted my mom and I was like, Hey, I watched ever after. I hadn't seen it since theaters, but I remember going to see it in the theater with you. And she was like, yeah, it was actually for my birthday. And oh, so she was like, it was a nice birthday, memory. Mom. Yeah. And so I was like, Aww. yeah, it was nice to like watch the movie and think about, you know, like, oh, my mom likes this movie and Shira likes this movie. And like, yeah, there's things to like about this movie, like the costuming, which looks f fine, I guess, but it's like, nascar it's like if you know how the machines work and all the intricate details like holy cow nascar is pretty cool right i mean and you know i i i agree with you there i'm i'm just getting into motorsports with um formula one so i i completely understand that you know if you're yeah, not that way better than nascar but <laughs> i mean better. i, I should have done that i'm i mean there i have no i i don't know anything about nascar they need to release a netflix documentary series and then i can get into it um, but, you know, if you are interested in costume, then you do become interested in things like, okay, what are they drawing references from? What would the hair have looked like in the period versus what kind of hair is going to look the most glamorous and magical to audiences? Because when you're making a movie like this one, or even if you're making a historical movie that has a female audience in mind, you need to strike this balance in what is going to be visually appealing to people. What are we going to want to see when we look at the heroine and, and, you know, see her in this incredible moment versus, you know, like, yeah, maybe she's not wearing a wimple and a cone hat and, you know, like wizard sleeves, but it, it just, it's perfect for this moment for this movie. And so if you do look at some of the references or the mood boards for the characters, it is really interesting what they chose to draw from, especially that difference where it's supposed to be set in France, but everybody's wearing Italian clothes, but it just, right. it looks good on them. It, it looks good yeah. on them and it works. And, and the cod pieces are incredible. Like, you know, that might be the best costume that no one's talking about. Forget the breathe dress. It's all about Prince Henry's cod piece for me. Yeah. I know it is for you. <laughs> yeah. I like, 
I mentioned it, but yes, this this movie did not have as much boobage as I thought a movie like this would have. Because it wasn't really made with the male gaze, I guess. Uh, the no. people behind the scenes were like, no, we'll, we'll, we're doing it the way it would have been done. We're only going to bring it out for special occasions. I do think that my favorite dress in the movie, her red dress that she wears in the chapel ruins, is more booby than the other dresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, that one is my favorite, but the breathe dress isn't booby at all, but it is just so no. detailed and intricate. I think that's what appeals to people. Um, before we get into the story, I just want to add, I was curious about the writer, Andy Tennant, and he has written It Takes Two, Fool's Russian. He did a movie we reviewed, Sweet Home Alabama, um, as well as Hitch, which is a pretty good movie, mm-hmm. um, and then The Bounty Hunter. And I did remember that, you know, I think that if if I understand correctly his contributions to these movies, he is good at coming up with these little pithy little dialogue exchanges or, you know, people saying things that feel like they could just be cut right into the trailer, like, a bird may love a fish, but where will they live? Uh, or I was remembering there is a line from It Takes Two, which is a an Olsen twins movie, but it's where they say, it's that can't sleep, can't eat, reach for the stars over the fence, World Series kind of love. So I think that he is good at coming up with these, you know, hooks for a movie that you know people remember those lines like what bothers you that i'm common or that i'm competition you know it's it i think that that is another thing that makes this movie satisfying despite the fact that drew barrymore cannot pull off a british accent and i feel like i don't know about you but it seems like for her acting might just be a job like she's not really trying that hard to feel the emotions She's just kind of hitting the notes and the marks and making the faces. But like, unlike Melanie Linsky or Angelica Houston, I kind of felt like she wasn't really actually feeling the feelings or, or or showing it in that way. Like it, I don't know. It felt very perfunctory, but you know, it, it just, it worked like maybe in my heart, I feel Melanie Linsky should have been the lead, but I didn't get a choice. Yeah, I I am pretty much agreeing with everything that you said. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Um, but also, movie. yeah, I like the fact that <laughs> I like the fact that it feels like um, you know from beginning to end, it feels like they actually are in this setting. It doesn't feel at any point like they yelled "cut" and then walked off into a Pee Wee Herman set. Right. Like, the whole movie is just like basked in renaissance sunlight so would you say that the one good thing about this movie is the world building yeah i mean well i mean i don't i don't know i i didn't understand what a countess and <laughs> countessin and count like baroness and who was who and who was what i had no idea about any of that but there's plenty of side like if you watch i can't um, Gundam, i can't explain things I can't explain titles right now. It's too complicated right. to get into peerage systems. Um, so why don't, why don't we get into the story? 
Uh, yes, let me get my uh, IMDb up so I can get all these names right. We have Danielle, right? Oh, no, no, no. We start out with the Well, there's lady. a frame story. They do like a whole right, right, right. Titanic Heart of the Ocean yeah. thing. Right. We have to set up the the Disney jab. The idea that like, oh, oh this Disney used to jab. Be a real I like tale. that. <laughs> this used to be a real story, but the Disney got a hold of it. Oh. Disney um, being the brothers grim in this case. <laughs> well, no, because they mention like, oh, what do you yeah, what do you want? Uh dancing pumpkins and singing mice. Um <laughs> But no, we get up, we get the idea that like, this is more than just a fairy tale. This is actually based on some kind of truth somewhere. It doesn't really fit the way that we know it does, but it does fit enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like the shoe at the end. So we get Danielle. Danielle is like, she's, she, she's not like other girls. She is not like other girls. Um, Her, her servants are trying to get her ready. And she's being rambunctious. She's kind of like play flirting with the the servant boy, and well, they're she's both also like rowdy. An eight year old, right? So she's a little girl, and she's like a tomboy. And uh, the 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 carriage pulls up with her dad, so she goes to greet her dad, and she's all muddy and a mess. And then who steps out in addition to her dad, but the evil stepmother? Angelica Houston as Rod, Rod Miller. Miller. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we get Megan Dodds as Marguerite and uh, Melanie Linsky as Jacqueline. She was so good. Jacqueline. I thought uh, it's Megan Dodd was Marguerite. Yeah. I enjoyed Megan Dodd's evil performance, too. I, I, I just the way she says, and she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am, uh, of course, I hated her the first time I saw this movie and I hated yeah. Rodmilla because they did their jobs so effectively. Um, but yeah, I'm also Melanie Linsky gang for life. Uh, yeah, so definitely. yeah, immediately we get, we get some great players. Uh, and so right after being introduced to the evil stepmom and two stepsisters, the dad goes riding off. He gives, he gives her the book first, Utopia, which is a, a fancy book. Um, and then he goes it's a philosophy to, book. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to ride off to do his job. And then at the gate, instead of turning around to wave goodbye, like he always does, he falls dead of a heart attack and Angelica Houston is not happy about it. She does not like being left behind in this squabbly old farmhouse. Yeah, she was expecting that he was going to manage everything for her. And he literally died the day after he brought her home. Um, but she seems so, more angry than sad. Right, right, right. She's She's not upset that she lost the love of her life. She's upset that she lost her uh, breadwinner, her easy ticket. Um, So then we cut to Drew Barrymore and Drew Barrymore is, um, she's in the fireplace reading, getting all sooty, just like Cinderella should. Uh, Yeah. She's basically been downgraded to servant and she helps, she helps the servants basically wait on the stepmother hand and foot, but she does keep a bit of her spunkiness 
And part of that spunkiness comes in from one morning when she's out and about picking apples, someone rides by on one of their horses. So her being a, a tomboy and the hero of the story, she stops the person from stealing their horse. Yeah. But oopsie, the person who's stealing the horse is the prince. The whole prince of France. The whole uh, dead-ass prince of France. <laughs> and she is immediately on her hands and knees bowing to him, just like uh, Jackie Chan in ha- Shanghai Noon with the princess. You always got to bow to royalty. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. Here's a bunch of money. Peace. You never saw me. And he rides off into the, he rides off into the woods. She takes the money and decides what she's going to do with it is be a good person and go free the husband of one of the servants. Right. So yeah, Rodamilla sold him into slavery. Right. Just straight up. Here you go. (laughs) Um, And, and it was, it was like a temporary, it was just a bandaid on the, on her debt situation. (laughs) Um, And so while she's preparing to get into countess mode the court what is she a courtesian uh courtier she's a fancy yeah she's um, pretending to be a courtier even though she's not right as she's preparing all that we also get the prince he runs into a band of thieves who are stealing from this old man the old man says go catch my painting we get a neat little chase scene they that was ernie's favorite scene by the way yeah i bet oh man Ernie's got to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. (laughs) He would love that movie. This dog definitely enjoys a good chase scene, but that was the point in the movie that he was most attentive. (laughs) Uh, And so it is. It's like a little chase. It's a legit chase. He catches down the, or he tracks down the painting, catches the guy, brings it back. It turns out the painting is the Mona Lisa, and the old man is Leonardo da Vinci. And Ta-da. I'll, I'll tell you, I told you I had watched this movie with my mom. So that was years ago in theaters. The only thing I remembered about this movie was that Leonardo da Vinci was in it and that he was very sleepy in every scene to the point of almost falling asleep. But that's nowhere in the movie. So I don't know if I made that up or if I'm so confusing that with another movie. You just imagine that he was very sleepy in this movie. Like he's he was not a, sleepy at he all. He's pretty, he's pretty active in this. Are you confusing him with the king in uh, The Princess Bride? No, but I, I could see it. Sleep a lot. Um, yeah, he was yeah very, I like yeah. that it was the Mona Lisa. And then recently I read news that the Mona Lisa was vandalized by an activist. Somebody threw cake at the painting. I saw that too. I don't know if it's real or not. You, you never even know anymore. Leonardo would have been scandalized to know what they did. Um, and so the prince gets caught by the Royal guard chasing him and he's got to go back to the castle and he's got to go talk to mom and dad and mom and dad are like, listen, you're a grown prince adult boy now. So you're going to marry whatever grown princess adult girl we tell you to. And he's like, I just want to find true love. 
And he, he doesn't know what he wants. He's just an aimless youth who's he he needs a Drew Barry more manic pixie dream yeah. maiden to wake up his life and show him what he should care about. He needs he needs the garden state experience. You're absolutely right. And this all starts with their second meet cute when uh Daniela disguises herself as Nicole, a uh, a royal person who can demand her her servant back. And while right. she's doing that, the uh, the slave trader is giving her a hard time. He's like, yeah, I'm just doing my job here. I can't give it to you. It's not even my guy to give to you. Hey, 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 get off. My, I wish he had way, that please. accent. I wish he had that accent. You know, they really could have done anything. <laughs> hey, I got stops to make. Get out of the way, lady. <laughs> yes. That that would have changed everything for Brett. Um, yeah, I I also like. Yeah, I wrote in my notes the the prince is giving the she's interesting phase. Like that's yeah. always like the first step when it comes to this type of male lead. He's like, oh, she's interesting. Yeah, well, because he's like, hey, why do you even care about this? guy he's just a thief and she's like oh really he's only a thief because you have all this stuff and he has nothing what else is he supposed to do you made him that way and he's like oh me likey and from this point on <laughs> i wish he said me likey <laughs> from this point on his cod piece is center of every frame that's the only <laughs> thing i can see was... yeah well he he makes sure to walk cod piece first into every yeah, situation dude. Gray uh, Scott, he he took walking lessons. He he did something for this movie. <laughs> um, and so they flirt, and it's a very cute flirt. How he's like, you know, um, who are you here to see? My cousin? Who's she? My cousin? They have like this witty little banter back and yeah. forth, and she essentially just leaves him hanging. She gives him a fake name, but doesn't tell him where she, she's staying or anything like that. Um, and so what, uh, is it this, this is where we start to set up the fact that the prince, I'm sorry, the king has made a, a sort of, he's made a decree. Negotiation. He's decided that Henry can choose if he, if he, he's giving him a limited amount of time. All right. You don't want to marry the Spanish princess, find somebody in the king kingdom to marry, um, by the stroke of midnight at this fancy masquerade. So we know, yep. we know the, the goal. Uh, and we have this little exchange too between Toby Jones and Angelica Houston. And they're just, you know, they're acting so much better than they need to for this movie. Like they're really throwing it out there chewing the scenery the way toby jones looks at her while he says i have an inkling it's just like I, they played off each other so well i i would i would watch a toby jones angelica houston movie in a heartbeat um yeah like but there's two wonder, little schemers 
Yeah, I wonder if that was in the script or how, like, whatever they did, they made it memorable because, yeah, their little their little flirtations with each other and how, like, he knows she's using him, but he's into it anyway. Exactly. Like- <laughs> and they were able to communicate all of that so effectively. It was like uh, Frankenhooker. Yeah. When yeah. that one guy's like, hey, I'm into it. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but but yeah, so Angelica Houston is trying to position Marguerite Megan Dodd so that she can become engaged to the prince. Yeah, so she's trying to um, essentially inflate Marguerite's uh, status and, and whatnot to catch the eye of Prince Henry so that she can ride her wedding coattails into luxury. Um, but then we have more meetings between quote unquote, Nicole and Henry. They're, they're in a monastery, right? Which was Wait. interesting. Cause Oh, well, go ahead. Well, first they do the lake thing where so oh, right, Da Vinci right, right. Da Vinci's basically Henry's best friend and he's having this silly little conversation about soulmates and it's like, "Well, right. what if your soulmate dies and then yeah. you meet another person and you like them? Does that mean that the first person wasn't your soulmate?" And the second and he's just having all these dumb questions like Henry's just a himbo. Like, let's be honest. Yes. Like he is he has no business making decisions. Everything he does is basically suggested to him by Danielle, but it's okay. I think I'm comfortable with him being dumb. Um, and, and I think that's fine. So Leonardo da Vinci is doing his little boat shoes on the lake and Danielle's, you know, swimming, having a moment. And I like that she just screams when she sees him and yeah, and they, yeah, they have this whole interaction, but then she's like, whoops, gotta go. Um, oh yeah. Very the, uh, Melanie Linsky. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say she Batman's out of there. She just mm-hmm. disappears. Poof. Where did Nicole go? But he Why don't to you keep... ever see Nicole and Danielle in the same place? <laughs> never, never. But yeah, so so he he wants to keep it going. So he arranges, since he knows that she likes books, he arranges this second date for them at the monastery. Uh, and they're basically gone all day long. Uh, oh, and, right. And I think this is what leads into the gypsy fight. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, because where they both are is talked about by other people multiple times while they're gone. So it's always, where is this person? Oh, they're or where's out. the prince? Hey, He's not this in church. Person's also out. Like, why? What? Um, exactly. But then, yeah, we get a scene where she has to take off her dress to go down to her underwear, which is still like eight layers. And she climbs the tree or cliff so that she because she's not like other girls. Yeah, because she knows because she's a witch. She uses nature as her compass, and nature talks to her. Uh, <laughs> why don't men ever stop and ask for directions? Who is he supposed to ask? Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so she's looking out. She's looking out to find the direction of town. But then they get swarmed by gypsies. And then the gypsies are like the, um, they're like the bandits in Wing Chun, where it's like they're lovable yeah. bandits. 
um, because they kind of get the best of Prince Henry. They they get the drop on uh, Danielle, but she kind of throws it back like, how dare you? I'm a lady. And they're like, all right, lady, you can take whatever you can carry. Shows, so she fireman carries the prince right out of there. And I they love all that get scene. Kick. Oh, come on. It's that's great. fun. It's fun. Yeah. It is again, it made me laugh because I was like, Shear's watching this and she'll genuinely like this scene, but it's making me think of Wing Chun and like flying chimpanzee, flying orangutan. Right. It's the I, same thing. I it's think the same thing. I think Wing Chun and Danielle are, I would say that Wing Chun is more overpowered, but oh, Danielle yeah. is also OP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she does a lot of because one of the scenes coming up, right, is where she decks her sister in the face. Oh, such and just a great like, scene! I love that. Dexter, a haymaker. Okay, well, let's paint. Let's, <laughs> okay, this, go. That, that's actually some of Drew Barrymore's best acting in the movie. That and some of her yeah. scenes with, I think her scenes with Angelica Houston are really good. And I mean, again, it's like having a good scene partner makes you good, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and then, yeah, this scene I think is her, is her, but this is, this one's for the real, um, because yeah, so we, we, we set the scene already Rod Milla and Marguerite have been trying to get at that breathe dress. They yep. want to have it for Marguerite, but that's Danielle's dowry. That's her mom's dress. So, she, so after she has this outing with the prince and she basically gets chastised for not doing her job, then it's go time on the dress. And that's when um, <laughs> Marguerite has my favorite line that she says. <laughs> like, of course, Daniel's like, that was my mother's. Yes, and she's dead. <laughs> and that's when she gets it, decked. It's a great moment. It's a great moment. Because, yeah, in that moment, the last thing I really expected Drew Barrymore to do was to just flat out punch her in the eye socket. But that's exactly what she did. She goes tumbling head over heels. She's she's dizzy she's looney tune she sees the stars and the birds and the mallet and everything good costume choice they put her in red tights so when she does go head over heels you really see it um and yeah at, at this point in the movie they're just so needlessly cruel that if they didn't yeah, get yeah, punched yeah, yeah. in the face at this point the movie would just be unbearable it would be unbearable to watch this character receive further abuse because it was good to let off the steam exactly it was very it, came, it was a very good moment it came at the right moment but then she burns utopia what the fuck <laughs> I remember what? that scene really wounded me when I was younger. I was very emotionally yeah. affected by that. I'm also, although I'm a little surprised that the movie doesn't call back to it. Cause at one point in the monastery, he's like, take any book you want. I'm surprised. Oh, she, that it hadn't happened yet. Oh. So that had happened before because it's because she was at the no, monastery. And then, the then he can be trouble. Right, but then he can be later on in the movie, he can be like, hey, remember I said one book? I know you're missing this one. And she can be like, oh, Prince Henry. 
Like that'd be a good um I think a little bit of that happens in the chapel. So I'll 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 point okay. out the moments where they okay. reference it. It's a little too subtle. Um Yeah, too subtle for me. And I was, then, yeah, I was I, too distracted by that cod piece. <laughs> I I do. Yeah, I know. It's really hard to look at anything else. I <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why this movie is so female gazy. You just yeah. want to look at crotches. Um <laughs> but uh I, I thought that it was funny that they followed up this with the tea with the queen. So Marguerite has to sport this black eye. And when they figure out that it's Danielle who's been meeting with the prince, she has her little fit and then goes, yeah, there was a bee. <laughs> yeah. And the, the queen is very, uh, she notices it and she takes note of it and she's a little disturbed by it. She, uh, she knows this isn't normal behavior. <laughs> right she's she's a nutcase yeah uh but yeah and then comes the chapel scene right or well so she gets beaten up and then the chapel scene well right right right. so danielle tries to tell henry the truth and we have the classic like i have something to tell you wait let me tell you all the things you've always wanted to hear now what was it you wanted to tell me exactly classic (laughs) it's a classic Um, nothing (laughs) <laughs> I, I just so... wanted to tell you that I, I, I did like the touch, the touch though. So she's wearing the red dress, which is gorgeous. But also he goes in to hug her and he touches her back and she kind of goes, eee. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know she's still wounded, but she can't answer him when he's like, oh, is something wrong. She doesn't want to tell him like, oh, right. I was basically beaten half to death for wanting to meet you. Right. No, yeah, it was a very good moment cuz yeah, it was when she let herself get close to him, it hurt. And so it was like, oh yeah, a good moment, good moment. Um but this is where we start to <laughs> this is where we start to escalate things, right? And we're starting to work our way up to the ball where um this time the dress is actually taken from her and she is physically locked in the cellar well i think the servants decide to hide the dress before it can be taken and so she gets oh, right, back right, right, right she gets back and they're like where's the dress and she's like i don't know and right they I think that never... she took it but really the servants are like yo we got you we, we got you yeah i liked that line i would rather die a thousand deaths <laughs> than see my mother's dress on that spoiled selfish cow <laughs> And then she Um, says, like, that can be arranged or something. Like, we can make that happen. So they just, they lock her up in the cellar and they go on their merry way to the mask. Um, Meanwhile, I will also point out that Melanie Linsky gets fucking fat shamed throughout the entire movie when she's not even big. And it's so annoying. Um, But she gets to have, she gets to have her comeback later. Yeah, I didn't quite see it as fat shamed. I just saw it as like, like, we don't even care enough about you to give you a trait. Like, they don't even know enough about her. Like, they're just like, what, what, what do women She likes food, to sure. eat. Right. Like, <laughs> that's, that, that's all she cares like. about. <laughs> um, when really, that's all they want, right? Is they just want all the food uh, to eat. And, um... But yeah, they send Danielle's GBF to go find Da Vinci. 
Right. So Gustav goes on a little sneaking mission. He's got to do some hitman style, like steal the clothes of yeah, the he guy knocked out to Toby get into Jones. the party. <laughs> and um, he goes to find Da Vinci. Da Vinci comes and he doesn't unlock the door. He takes the door off the hinges. He's a very smart man. Uh, and he preps her and makes her beautiful so that she can show up to the ball and everyone is stunned as Prince Henry is essentially going to declare her as his pick. I will also uh, say that this movie has a great score. I think they did great on on the music and kind of the sweeping orchestral strings the very very sentimental schmaltzy strings and then i do like the crane it, is it a crane shot of her coming into the ball and it kind of just zooms in on her or swoops in on her yeah i know what you're talking about yeah it's a very cinematic it's a very sweeping moment like yeah they're capturing that fairy tale magic in a yeah. in an effective way in my opinion and and Drew Barrymore, this is like this is <laughs> this is earlier in the movie. Angelica Houston says something like, "Oh, you have such masculine features." Well, then, no, like, it goes like <laughs> it goes like this. She goes, "So, do you think I have a bit of my mother in me?" And she's like, "Oh, well, I see your father in you every day, looking out at me." And and Drew Barrymore kind of makes an awe face, and she's like, "Well." You have such masculine features. It's like, I, again, Angelica Houston is great. She is far and away my favorite evil stepmother. And I thought that Kate Blanchett did a great job too, but it just, it doesn't get better than Angelica Houston. Yeah. And so she, uh, Drew Barrymore acts like she has never been pretty in her whole life. And this is her at her utmost prettiest. And Angelica Houston comes in and she does what any great villain would do. She rips the wings, the custom-made Da Vinci flying metaphor butterfly wings. You will off not the dress, fly. And she exposes her for the servant that she is. This is the part of the movie that kind of like Notting Hills me a little bit, where it's like he he then throws a hissy fit and then He's got to yes, go through I knew sham you were going to react that and... way. I knew you were going to say that the resolution was too drawn out because yeah, he immediately it's 2 hours. He, he yeah, I, I agree. Minutes. I agree that they could have resolved it without doing this whole thing, but of course, yeah, he he completely shames her in front of everybody. She goes back to her pathetic existence. Um, and I do really like the scene between her and Angelica Houston, where she's like, did you ever yeah. care about me? Did you ever right. love me even for a moment? And Angelica Houston is just ice water running through her veins. How could anybody love a pebble in their shoe? Dang. Devastating. And yeah, I, I felt like that, that scene we got some good emotions because I, I can definitely imagine that Drew can tap in to being a child longing for validation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that 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 scene played out really, really well. And then I also liked that Melanie Linsky and the 
Henry's best friend, Laurent, the his dude or whatever. They, right. they bonded over being two horse people. I liked her, yeah. her little nay. And he yeah. does a little. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. The tiny touches like that are, are what um, help world build and make this movie feel like a fairy tale. It's just it's playful, uh, gives you what you want. The big thing at the end is that um, sh- uh Rod Milla, what's her name? Rod Milla. So, well, Rod Milla well, so, and Marguerite are going to the wedding, and I like that they dressed for a funeral. <laughs> They're wearing black veils while everybody's wearing regular veils, and we learned that the Spanish princess is also deeply unhappy and wants to marry who she chooses, and then that inspires Henry to finally stop being an idiot. Right. Uh, and he goes to Pepe Le Pew's um, scary haunted house to go rescue her. Oh, right. And she doesn't really need rescuing, though. She's like, she what are you doing here? She rescues herself. <laughs> yeah. I wish we had seen her sword skills earlier in the movie. If she had sword yeah, skills. Yeah, against the, the gypsies. Them? Yeah. Oh, we, we saw them in the gy- with the gypsies? Did no, she... the the gypsies basically just get the drop on her. Yeah, we could have had a whole little sword fight moment, like a princess, like a, bride like a wing, sword fight. a wing chun moment. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, she could like snap off their buttons and um, yeah, but I think that would have been fun. But yeah, he goes to her, and then the and then the evil stepmom and Marguerite are like they're kind of duped into thinking that maybe because the, because Henry's not marrying the Spanish lady, that maybe he's going to marry Marguerite. So they get all excited and giddy and they go to the wedding to oh, wait, have. I just want to say, I loved when they reunited, he spun her around and she's wearing the Cinderella shoe on one foot and her regular shoe on the other. It's just, it's just like, a, I don't know. It's corny, right. but it works. But yes, um angelica houston and uh megan dodd get totally duped and melanie linsky again great face acting you can tell she's totally in on it yeah uh we they get their comeuppance they get their comeuppance big time instead of riding the coattails into royalty and being served on forever they are now the servants of course uh they're both too good to be servant, so they have to get poo pooed on, which comes in the form of falling into the die or the want. Like it's the die, right? I wrote that in my notes. They, yeah, yeah, that was the that was the poo poo moment. That was the poo poo. Um, <laughs> that was the poo poo moment of this rom com because we can't kill them. So the next best right. thing is throwing them in a die vat. Uh, and then they live happily ever after, and it's revealed who? that. Says the granddaughter, who's the Titanic girl, who gives him the slipper. <laughs> I was I was referencing it's it's one of Henry's lines where he's like, or it's it's one of their last lines. It's like, and now we live happily ever after. And then she says, "Says who?" And then he goes because he's the himbo. He says, "You know, I don't know," because <laughs> nobody wrote their story yet. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> 
it, of course it's corny, but sometimes you want to pop corn. You want, you yeah. want to have the schmaltzy, um, what's, what does, uh, what does it takes to? It's that can't, can't eat, can't sleep, reach <laughs> for the stars, over the fence, world series kind of love. Yeah. So, gotta ask, who would you kill from the movie? Alright, I'm only gonna do this because I made him the main character of my remake. Oh. I am going to kill Gustav. Because <laughs> poor Toby, okay, because poor Toby Jones is just going out to take a leak. The guy's he working overtime. He's working overtime. He's working both sides. He's trying to make a little money on the side. He's probably got... You know, he's he's got debts to pay of his own and stuff. And then while he's taking a leak, he gets knocked out. He doesn't even get to finish taking a leak, which means that when Gustav goes to put on the clothes to be all stealth, he's wearing a piss suit. Wait, like you, he think smells like Jones, he, you think Toby Jones he, is he got knocked out while he was peeing? You don't just stop peeing mid-go. <laughs> Because you get knocked out. That's not how it works, Shira. This is a very interesting thing to fixate on. If I... I have a small bladder, so I'm very pee conscious. Um, and so I'm very much like Larry David in that in that regard. I'm always conscious of, like, are people going to notice if I go to the bathroom too much? So yeah, if I snuck off to go to the bathroom and the next thing you know I'm knocked out, I'd be like, screw you, man. You could have just throw me some coins and I would have gone and gotten them for you. <laughs> Instead, I've got a concussion. So you'd kill Gustav. I'd kill Gustav, but also I'd made him the main character in my remake and I really liked it. Ooh, I'm excited. So how I about think, you? Who are you? I think I would kill the king because he just does not have control over this situation if this is how he's dealing with the prince, <laughs> I can only imagine how he's dealing with the country. Yeah, they throw a little dig at England for divorcing, but yet he's playing he's playing dating game with yeah, national he has no politics. Way, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, well, you choose somebody <laughs> in three days and we'll announce it at the ball. Yeah. I, clearly, he has no idea what he's doing. He's got to go. Yeah. And then Danielle uh, Danielle can rule by proxy through Henry. Yeah, that's that's the real life version of this movie. <laughs> that's what should happen. Yes, I mean it, it it's what would have happened except the monarchy was abolished. So <laughs> I think you know they had like a few good a few good reigns before everything burned down in the terror. Uh, so I'm really excited to hear your your horror remake since you've centered Gustav. Um, what do you want to do? Should I just blast through mine so we can get to the good one? Or, it, or... it's up to you. I don't. How do you? Okay, I think because yours is. I'm I'm really excited for this one. I think I'll I'll get through my pitch. So that we can hear, we can hear the Gustav. Give me a teaser. Okay. What's the title? Oh, okay. Title is called "Blending After." Oh, Ooh. okay. I can't wait. All right, 
All right, let me. So, so I basically ripped my plot from a comic that I'm currently reading, uh, and I will recommend it at the end of this uh, at the end of this <laughs> podcast so that we we have that. So I just decided to call mine Never After. Yeah, I, just, I reach for the the immediate one. Um, so we'll say that Danielle has the same backstory prior to the engagement with the prince. One exception, the book that she received from her dad was not Utopia. Instead, let's say that she got The Prince by Machiavelli. Ooh. So Danielle is more of a smooth operator in this vision, in the in this version. So then at the engagement celebration, Henry tells her to go into the garden and meet and meet him there. She goes and is immediately attacked by assassins. But the assassins don't know Danielle's got mad sword fighting skills and she's able to take them on and we get to the last assassin and she's threatening him, but he won't tell her anything. He's going to die for whoever sent him. And he's complaining. He's like, he said that this would be easy. He said that you would be alone. Um, and she kills him. And she deduces that there's really only three people who could have ordered her death. The king, mm. the queen, or the prince. Because who wouldn't give up the person who sent them for a higher price and appear right. in completely unmarked clothing, but still have, you know, all of the fancy weapons and gears. And then as she's figuring this out, Le Pew ends up on the scene. Also, how can you believe that they named him Pierre Le Pew? <laughs> I, I almost did a spit take. <laughs> oh, it's Le Pew. It. <laughs> As in Pepe. <laughs> 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 um, so Count Count Le Pew comes and she hates this guy because he's very oily and, and annoying. Um, but he simps for her hardcore. So oh, yeah. so he figures out what's going on. He also deduces it's planned by a royal, and he decides he's gonna help her with her next move. So Danielle goes back into the engagement ball covered in blood falls into the prince's arm and is like, someone attacked me. Um, and immediately the prince is like, seal all the entryways, lock everyone in here. Let's find out who the culprit is. So my idea is kind of clue style. This is yeah. a closed box, single night murder mystery. And it eventually becomes clear to Danielle and Le Pew that it's Prince Henry that's hiding something. So Danielle gets Jacqueline, the good step stepsister, to spy on him and dig up the dirt. So I'm just saying, over the course of the evening, the plot unravels. Danielle, Jacqueline, and Le Pew are eventually able to figure out that the prince orchestrated the courtship and engagement to Danielle to further his political ambitions specifically Ugh. he wanted to capture the support of the anti-monarch faction that loved the idea of a commoner marrying into the royal family but he wouldn't pollute the royal family with commoner blood so he decided he would kill danielle and then blame it on his political enemies so he could start a war and expand the french empire 
Of course, Danielle feels sick that she has been just used and manipulated in this way. So she's going to vow revenge. She's got Jacqueline and LePew on her side. And my unresolved question is, how does she do it? Um, I was thinking if we stick to the Cinderella theme, maybe she poisons her shoe so that the instant he picks it up, he just gets covered in boils and and like the the poison seeps through his fingertips and he dies in agony or maybe there's a sword fight um but but yeah that's kind of all i had yeah you could do something about her losing the shoe so he's like taunting her for it or something but then he loses his boot or something and then when he goes to put it on it's like oh there was a scorpion inside and it was the deadliest scorpion there is so by putting <gasps> Ooh, on his own shoe, in his boot yeah <laughs> she put it she put it there when he was down by the watering hole <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh it's got a little bit of Princess Bride, like a dark yes. Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He wanted to blame it on Flanders. So yeah, this right. is kind of the, the same thing. He's really just using her as a figurehead, and this charming prince who she loved is actually the devil. Yeah, you could put Carrie Elwes in there as a little cameo. You could be like the king or something. Yeah, oh, this totally. Is good... <laughs> he's he's reached monarch age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna give I... you, I'm gonna oh. give you a kind of soft pitch, but it's gonna okay. end big. Okay. Okay, I'm excited. I mean, the moment you said Gustav is your main character, you piqued my interest. So we're gonna deal with this idea of a guy who wants to paint, and he wants his name to be known. And he's a naturally good talent. So Gustav, he's he's a he's like an apprentice's apprentice, apprentice, apprentice. But clearly, he's way better than all of the other people in the country. To the point where he's like, no, it should be Da Vinci who's teaching me. Like he should be here. I should be with him. Uh, so we can get a little bit of that by you know like we can have it so that he's like a playboy at all of the masquerade parties and he can be Ew. like doing, he can be like doing caricatures of people and then we can also have like you know the underground stuff where someone's like hey can you draw me a smutty picture and he draws it for them and they're like ooh and gives Oh yeah they money. don't have any pornography right. except what people could draw Right so he would make a fortune off of it and we could also say that he's got a very special... So not only does he use his his powers for charm, not only does he use them for personal gain, but he also has a special gift that he shares via love. And he's got a love interest who's like, a, you know, kind of like prostitute-adjacent-esque wench-y, right? And so he's he goes to see her oh like jody foster and taxi driver yeah yeah yeah. i was gonna say because he doesn't have time to actually have a relationship so he kind of is like he's paying for the relationship and he's way more invested in it than she is but he kind of knows that but still he's going crazy um we're gonna do this like you remember you ever see perfume the story of i i enjoyed that movie (laughs) i did not like it (laughs) 
Wait, you didn't like... Uh, okay, spoilers for Perfume, fast forward, but you didn't like the part where he was cannibalized by a pile of people? I, I was not into the movie, but we're going to go that way in terms of very artsy, and this guy is a savant. He's, like, fetishistic about how savant he is, and he's, like, he's single-mindedly driven to, like, become the best painter and so he can see the individual strokes of a painting right so one note suggestion what if the way that he comes by some of his pigments is unethical or involves hurting people or okay something something illegal that's gonna come up Okay. Okay. Good. Because good. 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 I like as we get going. into this, as we get into this, we're going to start to do this scanner darkly thing, where he goes to different museums to look at different paintings. But because he can see the individual strokes, he can see how the painting was painted, which means he can kind of see like these subliminal messaging in oh, these paintings. Kind of they live style. Right. But it, yeah, so it's kind of like he sees like the same kind of runes and shapes, you know, like Illuminati stuff. So he'll see the triangle with the floating eye and that kind of thing shows up more and more. So what he does is he goes to Da Vinci and, you know, he eventually gets to meet him and he's like, hey, I've been noticing all these things that can't just be coincidence. And Da Vinci's like, ah, I'm going to bring you in to the eyes wide shut world of like painting right so he has to be initiated into this underground cult because back in the day you know things like using natural light and using different kinds of strokes and all that stuff all of that was like revolutionary right and so while he has to learn this from this from the the people who know it he they're entrusting him with this secret so they have him paint a murder as it happens, they do it right in front of him, like a ritualistic murder. And he's like, Wild. oh, shit. now I'm in the deep end. Like, there's no going back now. Like, I'm in it. What else well, am I going to no. do? Yeah, if he sells them out, he's dead. Right. So now we go from him painting a, f- a fresh killing or an active killing to, to like the cops and the secret because everyone's in on it. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's a secret society. The cops bring him to a crime scene and he has to paint the crime scene and it's a fresh crime scene. But the way that he paints it reveals something about the killer because now he's got painting and killing intertwined. So he can like use the blood of the victim to paint and then like they can just they can find out who killed the person by his painting. So oh. then we go to we go to another crime scene, but this one's much older. But the the secret society is still there and they're making it all like spooky, right? So we're going to do it so like the settings aren't creepy, but the ceremony behind the cult is creepy. Um, so then we, we, we work our way down to the fact where we are now in like this abandoned, it's like an island. It's like a mini island and the cult is essentially calling for Gustav to paint the beginning god so they're gonna try to like resurrect the beginning like an elder god right like an elder god but what they don't know is this whole time guess what we're gonna have this like saw remember in saw when it's the big twist moment 
we're going to have this big moment where Gustav has been one-upping them the whole time. And so he's not actually painting the past. He's painting the future. And he gets to decide his own apocalypse. And the cult is like, no, we raised a monster. And um, that's the movie. So do you do like a cabin in the woods tile ending where he brings about the destruction of the cult via the elder God? He brings about and- the destruction of the world, but it's not in the way that the cult would have wanted. Like it's ah. even more awesomer in a in a bad way. But if you want to kind of go like Hannibal with it, you know, the the prostitute wench lady that I said was his lover. Uh-huh. He can keep revisiting her and giving her paintings. And every time he gives her a painting, it's just as beautiful as the last. But her reaction starts to change and she's more disgusted and more kind of like disturbed by his presence. We can do a sort of Hannibal reveal where we look at the paintings Mm. later and the paintings start to degrade over time. And they go from beautiful paintings to like really creepy and gross paintings. And uh, if you want to give a little glimpse of hope, the final painting he leaves her could be like a really, truly beautiful painting so that she can see the real beauty as the world is being destroyed. What if it's a painting of her, how he sees her? Right. But no. So over the course of the movie, we assume that every time he sees her, he sees her as something beautiful, but it's revealed later that like, oh, every painting actually got uglier and uglier because his distortion, his reality is being distorted and he doesn't know it. Like the hand, mm. remember when he drew the clock in Hannibal? Yeah, it looked yeah. like a clock, but later it was all squiggly. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good indicator for his mental decline. Right, yeah, so we just do that. You get it. I like it. I like the idea. I think that artists as main characters can be just a fun way to talk about madness. And it's like, how far will you go for your art? Are you willing to truly sacrifice everything? Everything. Like the everything bagel. He he created his everything bagel. (laughs) Right. Uh, and yeah, clearly he was down to sacrifice everything. Yeah, we'll have a lot of Amadeus moments in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> what? He's not <laughs> painting based off of a sketch. <laughs> He's just painting. <laughs> uh, well, I love it. Well, that is how our tales have ended. Before we get into Love Bites, just want to remind everybody that you can follow us on social media at Necromancer Pod and that you should like, review, and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Once upon a time, there was a love bite. And what would you like to recommend this week? Well, you mentioned that Drew Barrymore kind of struggles a little bit in delivering a sort of natural, charming performance. It's not so much that. (laughs) I just think that for her, acting is a job. It's not a craft. Like, it's a job that she's been doing since she was a child. And it's it's the way that 
she's made her living for most of her life. I, I like that Drew has kind of pivoted into this talk show role. She's kind of feeling her, you know, she's into her Oprah era. Uh, and this I, is and definitely I a movie that her. was suggested to her by an agent. Like, Oh, a hundred percent. But yeah, <laughs> right. like I said, like I, I'm trying to think like, like, like your girl, Hannah, what, what's the actress's real name? Oh yeah. Sorche Ronan. Sorche Ronan is somebody who you clearly see that this is somebody who cares very deeply about the craft of acting. Like yeah. She's very much obsessed with the craft of acting. And I don't think that Drew Barrymore is that obsessed with acting. And I don't think that that's wrong. Like not right. all actors care about acting at the same level. Well, you want to see someone who's effortless in acting like they don't care about it, but actually delivering fantastic line deliveries and performances is Bob Newhart. Have you ever watched the Bob Newhart show? I have not. Sonia started watching it. So I've only seen, you know, again, some of these older sitcoms that Sonia watches. It's like, I get to watch a handful of episodes from the first two seasons so I get like the, the kind of best hits right out the gate. And then I don't have to worry about watching all the, you know, as the decline. But uh, Bob Newhart plays a psychiatrist in Chicago. And he's just a master at delivering lines and being sarcastic. And just he's he's a master at being the main character. He's he's just got a very Zen Gary Shandling approach to the hijinks of just like, you know what? I'm in a cartoon world. Let's go for the hijinks. I like it. So where is it on a specific streaming service? It is on Hulu. Ooh, okay. Bob Newhart on Hulu. Is that different from Newhart or is it the same? It is different from Newhart, and I don't know anything about Newhart, and I don't know. I don't think I would like it as much, but who knows? I didn't even think I'd like the Bob Newhart show. So here we are. I like it. So what's your love bite? So I mentioned earlier during uh, my remix pitch that I had borrowed heavily from a comic (laughs) I was currently reading And if that story or a story like it sounds interesting to you, I would highly recommend reading the comic Your Throne. It's on Webtoon. You can download it for your phone. And the plot of Your Throne, it's from the perspective of Medea, who is a duchess's daughter, and she has been engaged to the prince since birth. She's been trained for this, bred for this, but suddenly... The prince decides to drop her and become engaged to this sweet and pure girl who showed up out of nowhere. And obviously Medea is enraged. She plots to kill the crown princess. But in the process, they end up switching bodies. And this is how the Medea actually learns that the crown princess is being used as part of a plot. And these two women who were set up to be enemies end up being the closest allies as they wheel and deal and 
make their way through the intrigue. And the character Medea reminds me a lot of um, Death Note. Not because she's a good mm-hmm. character. I would say she's more like L and the the prince, the the would be villain in this case is kind of he's got the light Yagami energy. Um, yeah. But very much this comic is about outthinking your opponent playing 4D chess. There's even a scene that has a drawer with a false bottom and then you find out that the false bottom had another false bottom you know it's just and and that was something that i remembered from death note that made me think god this anime is fucking crazy so (laughs) i think that if you liked death note and you were like but what if it were about girls uh then give your throne a try and to the credit of the artist and the writer of this comic it's soon to come to the it's it's coming to an end pretty soon i think there's about 120 episodes released in english so far and the author made an announcement saying like hey the series is wrapping up and you yeah. have no idea how much of a relief that can be if you're a reader of comics because some of these series just go on forever or they evolve in a way where you're like, I don't even know what this is about anymore. Like I would still recommend Lookism, which I've recommended previously, but that's a comic that totally evolved into something crazy and different. Um, Your throne on the other hand, I think is very consistent when it comes to the story. And I loved reading it. Very nice. Your throne Hmm. Yeah, highly recommend just getting on Webtoon in general. There, there's some really good comics on there. Yeah, it's uh, like yeah, you recommend them a lot. You blast through them. Yeah, I there's mean, it's very, it is but, very yeah. easy, and there, there are a lot of good series. All right, well, that is all for today. Tell me, how would Big Daddy Prince Henry. No, Big Daddy Da Vinci. Oh, yeah. How would Big Daddy Da Vinci sign us off? Yes, I shall go down in history as the man who opened. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.